sometimes as leaders we wait for perfection we wait for something to align perfectly before we do it and sometimes it's just getting out there doing something and it may not be perfect but people would rather you get out there and do something rather than waiting for it to potentially never materialize Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Destination Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Stoker. We've got a great show planned for you today. Our guest today is Nick Breedlove, and he is the Executive Director of Jackson County, North Carolina's Tourism Development Authority. And Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, and glad it's Friday. Oh, man, I'm glad it's Friday, too. And the Friday right before Thanksgiving, uh, it'll be nice to have a little break, won't it? Absolutely. It'll be a little bit different this year with social distancing, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Are you getting ready or or getting together with family or is that, are you going to do it at home with your core family? What are you going to do? So this year, mom called and said she would deliver a full plate to the door wearing a mask and um, we're not getting together just out of an abundance of caution. Got it. Well, It'll be fun to see her from a distance then, and and you still get the quality of meal that you got growing up. That sounds like a good deal. Absolutely, and hopefully (laughs) she gets some leftovers with that uh, delivery. That's right. That's right. There better be enough. (laughs) Well, Nick, I'm I'm excited to have you on the show. We've got a couple of kind of icebreaker questions we like to ask at the beginning of each show. And it'll be interesting to hear your answers. So let's start. And I've had some people cheat and say their own destination. So I want to get that out of the way. You can't cheat and say your own (laughs) destination. All right. So if you could go anywhere in the world, Nick, where would that be? I think one of my bucket list destinations is Iceland. Um, I'm really fascinated by the Northern Lights. And that's definitely something I want to do before I die. Just see the beautiful green glow and also the black sand beaches there are just gorgeous. Yeah, I get such a kick out of the name of Iceland and the name of Greenland because they both seem pretty inappropriately named, right? Like Iceland is much <laughs> more green and beautiful and Greenland, while beautiful, maybe a little more icy. Uh, it, it, it's kind of funny to, to see the difference in what the actual destination is from the name. That's right. Yeah. Well, so so Nick, is, is Iceland something that you've always wanted to do? Is it a recent addition to your bucket list? Uh, and how did it get there? It's a recent addition. I've, I've just always been fascinated by the Northern Lights, and I haven't seen them. I've seen photos. And, you know, there's those things that you just want to do once in your lifetime, like, um, you know, that bioluminescent algae um, going on a kayak tour in Puerto Rico was absolutely amazing. Descending through a cavern in a in Cancun, Mexico, um, in a cenote. Um, so the Northern Lights are just—it's one of those things you just have to add to your list. I think. Yeah, you you sound like you're a little bit of a sucker for a natural phenomenon. Is that is that fair to say? <laughs> That's accurate. I I just like <laughs> to explore, and I I love new destinations and. It's, it's interesting being the head of a DMO and uh, traveling to a destination and experiencing it like a visitor. Isn't that fun? I mean, you know, I, I went to Hawaii recently and experiencing Hawaii like a, like a visitor, but then examining the customer experience and the different components of their brand as I was there. It, it's a fascinating experience. And, uh, 
anyway, I love, I love the way I look at travel now compared to before I was in the industry. It's like the first thing that I do when I get to a new town is I go, where should I eat? And you know, what's sad is I pull out my phone and I open up Yelp and I'm like, no, you can't do that. You spend thousands <laughs> on your destination website and you as the DMO leader are pulling up Yelp. So then I remind myself to check out the local DMO website, call the visitor center and say, if I have two days here, what should I do and what should I see? Yeah. And well, and the funny thing about it is, you know, as the DMO leader, that the DMO that you're visiting also has to give kind of equal share or equal um, uh, description of the popular restaurants on their site. And so sometimes it is difficult to find the highest reviewed restaurant on the DMO website. And and maybe we're uncovering a problem that we need to solve. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Absolutely. No. And, and I crowdsource with friends, you know, I just, I went to Hilton Head a few uh, months ago and, and I said, where are your favorite places to eat? And, you know, we visited all of those places. They were absolutely amazing. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. My wife and I went to Hilton Head a couple of years ago and just had an incredible time. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I share your, uh, your experience there. Uh, tell me about maybe your face. It sounds like you've been on a lot of trips, which makes sense. You're in the industry. What is your favorite destination you've ever visited? I know it's hard to pick a favorite. So easily hands down, it's Italy. I spent two weeks there and I absolutely fell in love traveling the countryside. So Italy has a lot to it. And, and I think it has different appeals to different people. So I would love to hear like, what is it about Italy that spoke to you specifically as a traveler? So I think just, you know, the different destinations within Italy, uh, we went to Venice, Montepulciano, which was my absolute favorite place. It's, it's like a small little two or three block village with amazing wineries. It's off the beaten path, traveled to Siena, Florence, Rome, you know, one of my favorite things that I did was I signed up for a cooking class in Rome because I love to cook. And, you know, we went to market and bought fresh herbs, um, everything we needed to make pasta from scratch. And to this day, I remember that experience. And it just drives home that as destination leaders, you know, what experiences do you offer in your destination that are going to leave a lasting impression on someone? Oh, how cool. You know, the, the opportunity to cook in Italy using the herbs and spices that you get in Italy, I can see why that would really stand out for you. I have sent three people to that same cooking class, and they all had an absolute blast. Oh, how cool. And, and how often do you try that recipe here, and how does it stack up compared to when you ate it there? Well, I don't often have time after work to spend an hour or two making fresh pasta, but <laughs> I do have all the attachments uh, to make it by hand, by mixer. Uh, sometimes I settle for the boxed pasta, but I definitely pick a nice Italian wine. You know, one of my favorite things in Italy was, you know, watching people just in, enjoy an entire pizza for lunch. You know, you think about lunch size servings and you know, you have people in Siena sitting down to an entire, you know, 10, 12 inch pizza, eating the entire thing without regret. And I thought for sure when I came back, I would have gained 10 pounds, but you walk so much there. 
Oh, that's great. Yeah. An entire pizza does sound like a big lunch. Uh, and so, you know, there's cultural differences. When I, I spent some time in Brazil and lunch was their big meal and dinner was actually kind of a little uh, more of a snacky type type meal. Is it the same in Italy? I don't know. I had big meals with every <laughs> every time of the day. We were walking so much. I think I actually hit 20,000 steps every single day. And, you know, I wow. think that's what helped me enjoy the great food. But, you know, I'm I'm a foodie at heart. And, you know, that's what we do when we travel. It's like, well, we should grab some breakfast and look around, see what there is to do. Then we've got to eat again. So let's find a great place for lunch. And where are we going to have dinner? Yep. Yep, absolutely. That's good stuff. So go to a destination. If you're going to eat good, go to a destination where you can get 20,000 steps a day and you should be fine. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, Nick, I, I appreciate you giving us that context on your uh, travel experience. And I'd love to learn a little bit more about you and your background and how you got into tourism. Yeah, so I have a I have an interesting background. I was a journalist uh, for a newspaper for about 13 years back when people actually picked up a physical newspaper and read it from front to back. And, you know, so I learned a lot about storytelling. That's really the industry. When you break down what we do in DMOs, it's all about telling a story. So, you know, with that background, um, from there I went on to be a mayor, which um, it was a small town in our county. It's like an HOA almost. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's uh, it's almost something out of Parks and Rec, uh, if you've ever seen that series. But, yes. you know, I, I got a taste for government when I was mayor. And, and it, it wasn't a full-time job. It was, you know, one meeting a month. And, you know, we had a budget of $140,000, which at the time seemed like a lot. Um, but it really, it gave me a taste of, you know, leading meetings, bringing together stakeholders and, you know, from there, the position for our DMO, our DMO never had a director before. So they were looking for somebody with public relation skills, with um, an advertising background, with leadership skills. So it's it was an odd combination of utilizing, you know, my past roles in, you know, copywriting for newspaper, photography, you know, leadership as the mayor dealing with a board. It made for the perfect combination. And I joined our DMO about five years ago. You know, that that is so interesting because you hear that job description, right? And you're like, man, it's going to be hard to find somebody. But here comes Nick, who went from journalist to mayor and got all those skills that, that fit that job description and fits perfectly into this net new director role. Uh, it's kind of fun to see how, man, the, people have such well-rounded backgrounds that there's always a person out there that can fit whatever job. But it had to have been challenging to get into or to start a net new position that didn't have like a predecessor that had set up those processes or, or uh, you know, uh, set up what needed to uh, a vision for the destination. So how were you able to do that from the ground up? Well, it's it's really funny. When I started... It was mid-January and they gave me a one-year contract. You know, they said, we're going to see if the director is really something we need, if it's a good fit. So it's sort of like a blank page. You you get to write it from scratch. You just hope there's a sequel. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I started out in mid-January and somebody said, 
how's the visitor guide coming along? And I said, visitor guide, what visitor guide? And they said, well, we produce one every year. And I said, okay, well, let me figure that out. <laughs> and then about a month later, they said, you know, there's this big eclipse happening um, in about two years, um, and we're directly in the path of it. And then I said, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, we need to figure that out. And, you know, that the 2017 eclipse was, it was a lot of fun, but we planned for that for two solid years. And it was the largest mass migration of humans in modern history. And nobody knew how many people were coming. Nobody knew what was going to happen. So talking about getting thrown into hot water, you know, it's, yeah. it was, it was fun, but you learn and, my biggest thing is I try to bring everyone along in the process and, you know, connect stakeholders and, you know, really bring everyone into the conversation. So we do that on a continual basis here. Got it. Well, that's interesting. I, I'd love to, I mean, that, that gives us some insight into the uniqueness of the destination that you guys were the primary viewing place for that eclipse and, and, that people came from all over the country to be there, which is hard to imagine today. And we'll talk about that at some point, but <laughs> tell me a little bit about your uh, Jackson County as a destination and what makes it unique. So we're a mountainous destination. You know, a lot of people have heard of Asheville and, you know, jokingly we say we're LA left of Asheville. Um, and <laughs> We're 494 square miles of just natural scenic beauty, countless waterfalls. We're home to the entrance to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, which is the most visited park in the U.S. with free admission. We're also home to the Blue Ridge Parkway, which is America's most celebrated motor route. So we like to think that we're in the middle of the most here because we're a few hour drive from Atlanta, from Charlotte, from Nashville. We have amazing fly fishing. We're home to the Western North Carolina Fly Fishing Trail, which it's a product that was developed before I came on, but um, it maps out all the best places to catch trout in the North Carolina mountains. So primarily we're a leisure destination. People come here to get out of the city to enjoy the cooler temperatures and sort of just unwind. Sounds like an amazing place. And, you know, I'm not a great fly fisherman, but I like to fly fish. And, and I had heard of, of Asheville for that reason, uh, the, the amazing fly fishing that's in your destination. And, you know, I, I did get a chance to go out to Tennessee earlier this year. I took the podcast on the road, actually, and, and we went out to Tennessee. And one of the things that I found super interesting when I was there is Tennessee actually opened quicker, I think, than all the states around it, which provided a really unique challenge in, in one of the destinations that I visited called Bristol, where half of it's in Virginia, half of Bristol's in Virginia, half of Bristol's in Tennessee. And so you literally had businesses on one side of the street that were open and businesses on another side of the street that were closed, which provided a really unique dynamic. But for you, being next to some of those destinations that opened a little quicker Tell me what that was like and some of the challenges that came along with that. With regard to COVID, it was, you know, we faced another unprecedented situation. You know, every year we deal with hurricanes, wildfires, and pandemic is something that, you know, we have public health crises in our 
crisis management plan, but we had never thought about a pandemic on this scale. So, you know, we, in March, I believe, we canceled all our advertising. We had local orders that hotels could not rent to people. Um, so it was it was really interesting to be in this business. But first and foremost, we wanted to put our residents' safety top of mind. Um, I've lived here my entire life, which you know makes me care more about my destination and the health and viability of the community as opposed to bringing in visitation just for visitation's sake. So it was a shift in perspective. Um, you know, I early on had conversations with our county leaders, seeing the case count skyrocket. And, you know, we actually discussed, you know, maybe it's a good thing to shut down, which as a destination leader is completely opposite of what you would traditionally find yourself, you know, advocating. And painful for. even to discuss, right? <laughs> It is, but, you know, it was the right choice and, you know, we fared well since then. It was a, it's been a really interesting year, you know, March, April, and May, our tourism economy was decimated. We, we estimate that we lost around 14 million in visitor spending alone at our local attractions, restaurants, and retail. And then June, July, and August, you know, we didn't know what to expect. We budgeted for the worst. But, you know, all the national trends and data show travel wouldn't return until 2022, perhaps, or even 2023. Right. So we were, we were unsure as to what would happen. But we were actually shocked that in June, July and August, we beat all time records for occupancy tax collections. So people were coming at an exponential rate versus every month in our history. Wow. Wow. I want to learn more about that, Nick. And, and we will after we take a quick break. Today's episode is brought to you by Relic. As many of you know, I own an advertising agency called Relic, and we work specifically with tourism destinations. If there's any of you that are struggling with what to do next, or you've tried agencies that don't specialize in tourism, or, or if you've been using the local flavor for years and years and you're just looking for something new, I would say give us a call. Give us the opportunity to take a look at your plan, see what you're doing, use our tourism knowledge and industry specialty to examine everything from your brand to your tactical execution and make recommendations of how to help. We'll do that assessment for free. We'll give you those recommendations for free. And if you like what we say, maybe you can hire us to, to execute on those plans. So kind of a risk-free opportunity to have us take a holistic look at everything you're doing, provide some recommendations, and you can kind of see us in action. If you're interested in having us do something like that, please send me an email directly at adam at relicagency.com. I would love to set that up with my team. Well, Nick, that's really interesting considering the fact that you went from nothing for three months to now breaking records for three months, but in a time where you had so many more challenges than you had had before. So not only do you have unprecedented crowds, but you've got the safety measures that are still in place. And tell me how you navigated that because 
you know, having that many visitors right after having zero visitors is a unique challenge in and of itself. That's right. And we had never broken the $200,000 threshold for occupancy tax in a single month. And I believe one month we had 230000 in receipts. And, you know, for a small destination, we were shocked. And, you know, it, it goes to show we had actually dialed down our advertising to be responsible and responsive to COVID-19, but people were still coming anyway. And all the national research from Longwoods, from destination analysts, showed that people out of the top three or four places people were visiting, they were looking for rural, off-the-beaten-path destinations, national parks, and, you know, just places they could get out of the city. And we actually met like three out of those top four places that people were looking to escape to. That's that's interesting. And, and you know, so many changes happened for destinations. And I, I, I would definitely include yours in that because suddenly there's audiences that you didn't target before. Suddenly uh, messaging is is completely out the door. I mean, for, from one standpoint, you'd even say, did you guys need a recovery campaign considering you were breaking records already or did you need to continue to hold off? So tell me a little bit about the changes that took place for you as a destination when things started to come back. So yeah, advertising wise, we went, our plan shifted entirely to digital, which, you know, I have a print background and print's not dead by any means, but we realized digital, we could turn it up, off, or change it instantly, depending on the COVID situation. Uh, We emphasized our wide open spaces and encourage people to recreate responsibly, travel safely, travel confidently. Because, you know, thinking about our small community, the last thing that our residents want to see are us inviting people from major metro cities with active, imminent outbreaks to our mountains. So we had to be very careful to balance resident sentiment, advertising, and all the while supporting our small businesses who desperately need business to stay open. Yeah, the idea, especially of the businesses that need the support, this is the challenging balance that I think every destination is having to to figure out. And, and there's certain businesses that are so critical to our customer experience that if we don't have travel for a certain period of time, that business may not be able to be a part of our customer experience long term. And so that's it's this battle of safety versus sustenance. And and you know, it sounds like you guys were able to really uh proactively manage that balance. We were. We started in early March before there were guidelines from the state, from health and human services, from you know best cleaning practices for COVID, we started compiling all the information we could for our small accommodations that don't have corporate flags as to how they can prepare to reopen safely. Uh, we, we shared that information with restaurants. We held webinars. We sent out mass email campaigns. And, you know, we, we innovated and we pivoted as a DMO, you know, our entire you know, job is to advertise and promote. And, you know, in recent years, that's shifted to destination management. Yeah. 
and even more recently, just destination organization. So we, we found ourselves shifting from supporting the visitor to shifting 100% of our efforts toward the local communities, businesses, restaurants. Because like you said, if they're not open, if they don't have the business they need to sustain, then when our visitors come back, there will not be an experience for them. Right. Yeah, that's a difficult uh, balance to strike, as as we mentioned. Um, and, you know, COVID, it, it's so hard to know what normal is going to be in two years, right? Much less two months. But COVID, I think, has been around long enough to where every destination at this point should have made wholesale product changes to accommodate the new safety measures and regulations and, and things like that. It sounds like you guys did a lot of research early on on health and safety measures and distributed it to your stakeholders. Tell me a little bit about how your product as a whole has changed as a result of at least what currently feels like it might be the new normal. And, you know, my favorite phrase is the new abnormal. It's <laughs> uh, There's nothing normal about this. We started counting weeks of COVID at the beginning, and now we're now it's November and we're all like, how did we get to the end of the year already? It's a month until Christmas. So it's, you know, our product is still the same. We're still the great outdoors and, you know, we benefit from being a naturally socially distanced destination, but, you know, we made so many changes to prioritize visitor safety. We, um, one of our chambers wrote a grant and we installed foot-operated hand sanitizer units at every single one of our restaurants. Hmm. We we innovated and created itineraries to avoid the crowds to get off the beaten path. When our restaurants were shut down and doing takeout only, we set up, you know, based on a model in Charleston, we set up a virtual tip jar. So um, those people dependent on tips who are now only doing takeout, um, they could still pay their bills. You know, most recently with our federal funding we received through the CARES Act, we've done some really creative messaging about COVID-19. And I never thought I would be in the billboard business, but we're putting up billboards with um, in our local community to remind people of safe practices because we become a hotspot, we become a less desirable destination. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that you touched on, and, and I, I, I love the billboard comment too. I want to come back to that as well. But I want to go back to one of the things you mentioned about you created itineraries for how to get off the beaten path. And this, I'm going to get on my soapbox here for a second, but I think a lot of people that feel like they have an over-tourism problem actually have a distribution of tourism problem. And I love the measures that you guys took to say, hey, here's how you can get off the beaten path. But the other thing that that does is it makes for the ability to distribute your traffic in in a more sustainable matter. And and I feel like that is a step that many destinations have neglected and and COVID has actually forced destinations to come up with those itineraries and distribute their traffic better and not have 90% of their traffic at 10% of their attractions. You're exactly right. Uh, One thing we realized when we were doing our strategic plan before COVID is in July and October, we're a mountain destination, and this goes for most of the mountain destinations. 
in October, we're at 80 something percent occupancy. So we don't need any more leaf lookers here on weekends in October, where the real opportunity lies is the midweek season, Monday through Thursday during our slower months. That's when our accommodations, our restaurants need the revenue. So we sort of applied the same approach during COVID is in all of our messaging, we said for a less crowded um, visit, come during the week because all these families are doing virtual learning and remote work. So it doesn't really matter when you visit, but it spreads that demand out and it ensures that people have a good experience, but more importantly, a safe experience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's go, let's go back to the billboards then, because, you know, you're getting, you're getting people to your destination, probably for the first time, more people for the first time than ever, because maybe they were used to going to places that were more populated or, or, you know, more, more densely visited. And now they're coming to your destination. And the idea of the billboards, even though it's something you've never done in the past, it's an interesting, it's like a wayfinding sign on steroids. And I know you've got safety messaging on there uh, now, but is, is that something that you think will be a permanent part of your new advertising plan? I think at least through January or February, because I think, you know, given all of the, even just this week, states are issuing, I saw California is issuing a 10 PM curfew, New York right. shut down its cities and, I would rather prepare for the worst and, you know, get people thinking about these things. Even if it's just a six second flip on a digital billboard, even if it prevents one additional case, which, you know, multiplies exponentially, especially if the individual's asymptomatic, you know, I think it's to spend a couple thousand dollars on billboards to potentially save lives. I think, that's easily justifiable as a valid expense right now. Absolutely. Well, and, and it goes back to your core purpose for doing what you're doing. And you said you want to protect the residents first by educating visitors on those safety measures. That's exactly what you're doing. That's right. Well, tell me a little bit. I, I want to go back. We, we covered a lot. So I want to go back to another thing we talked about. And that's your audience in many cases has changed. How have mm -hmm. you been able to monitor, measure, and action on that change? So I have to admit, I'm a data geek when it comes to everything about our visitor. And, you know, we, the North Carolina Tourism Office, their entire campaign this year in light of COVID has been focusing on healing from the inside out, recognizing that our visitors would likely be in-state visitors first and then out of state and bordering states next. So, you know, those are our primary visitors, but we're still seeing visitors from all over the country. To give you a statistic, 30% of visits to our website this year have been new users, never been to our website before. So wow. we're definitely seeing a new audience. Um, and one thing that I do is whenever we get a lead request somebody who signs up for our visitor guide online. I take all the data from the zip codes, the cities and the states, and I put it in a software program called Tableau. And it's able to show me a virtual heat map of where we're seeing the most demand for information about our destination. 
Yeah, so Tableau me... is a great BI tool. I'm glad you're using that. Yeah, I know just enough to be dangerous in Tableau, but um, <laughs> but it's a good instant visualization. You know, it's really hard to complete the circle of you know, the visitor funnel, it's, you have Google Analytics who shows you website visitors, you have information about who's requesting a visitor guide, you can pixel on Facebook, but there's, other than Arrivalist and a few other platforms, there's nothing to really show this person came to my destination. So the best we can do is layer data and, you know, make some smart, educated guesses. Yeah, yeah, makes a lot of sense. One technology that I'm pretty high on right now uh, that does a lot of that is Entrada Insights, uh, and I, I had them on the show recently. Uh, I would definitely recommend taking a taking a peek at that because uh, their product so far uh, has has blown me away the most in the ability to uh, attribute where your visitors are coming from and and even looking at marketing performance compared to that that visitation. But anyway, that's another episode for another day, I, th- <laughs> I, I think, Nick. Um, I, I'd love to hear a little bit about, so, so you're uncovering these new audiences, you're using Tableau for those heat maps, and I think that's great. Now, how are you actioning on that? So we, we constantly share this data with our ad agency who handles our paid social, who handles our SEM. We're... I get a 20 page marketing report every month with what users are engaging in, what they're not engaging in. Um, you know, we've had to put a number of our campaigns on hold, like local events, nobody's doing events right now. So, um, every month we analyze the good and the bad. I tell my agency who's a terrific agency. I don't just want to see the good. I want to see what's not performing well. And I want that highlighted and let's pivot from that. Yeah, I think that's a smart way to look at it. You know, everybody likes to hear how they're winning. <laughs> you know, that's right. It's, it's sometimes hard to accept, you know what, this needs to be shut off now and we need to pivot. But you can't have that unless you're looking at that negative data as well. I think that's a great, a great point. And with social, it's, it's incredibly easy. We, people are responding to beautiful imagery now more than ever before. We use CrowdRiff and we pull in all these beautiful images our visitors take. And, you know, I think part of it is everything going on in the news cycle and on social media. People just want to be inspired again. They want to see something that's not negative. And, you know, just an organic post we did showing some beautiful layered mountains received over a million engagements and almost 5,000 shares. Wow. So, People are desperate for inspiration right now. And, you know, it's it's a real opportunity to inspire people and to make them feel happy again. You know, Nick, it's interesting. I feel like you guys are a small destination, but you operate much bigger. Uh, I, I feel like uh, you make decisions as if you were a, a large destination. I want to understand, and and this is really for the small destinations out there that are listening, I want to understand what do you feel like is a really important piece of advice you can give destinations who want to have, do a better job of making decisions, especially as, you know, they're going through the same challenge as everyone else is. You know, I think collaboration is key and, you know, talking to your neighboring counties and destinations and seeing what they're doing. 
they're competition, but they're also your best resources. Uh, we hold monthly or every other month meetings with all of our surrounding destinations and we work together. Um, they're not our competition. People who visit us, they're going to visit the county beside us and the other counties in the region. So, you know, that visitor isn't just ours. So collaboration is key, but also sometimes as leaders, we wait for perfection. We wait for something to be perfect or something to align perfectly before we do it. And sometimes it's just getting out there, doing something, and it may not be perfect, but people would rather you get out there and do something rather than waiting for it to potentially never materialize. You know, to be paralyzed uh, by a situation is is probably the worst thing. I mean, even action right now that doesn't work is better than inaction. I think that's great advice and the collaboration. That's right. Well, Nick, this is this has been great, and, and I feel like we could kind of go back and forth on you know marketing for destinations, especially during this time. Uh, for a lot, a lot longer than one episode allows for. So maybe we should do this again sometime. But if you could uh, just boil it down to what's next and what can people expect to see from Jackson County, what would you say? So we're we're focusing on sustainable tourism right now with the increase in visitors. Um, so that is that is key for our operations right now and. And advertising and bringing people here in a safe, responsible manner. And, you know, if there's one message I would share with everyone out there, and, you know, I attended the Skift Global Forum this year because, you know, all of these conferences that I would love to normally attend, they're cost prohibitive due to travel. Right. But I had the great opportunity to attend Skift Global Forum and the quote that somebody said, and I cannot tell you who said it, but it resonated with me so much that it's my mantra now. And it goes along the lines of, if all we do is bring back travel, shame on us. It's such an opportunity to be more inclusive, sustainable, and do great things other than just bringing back visitation. Man, what a great point to leave us with, Nick. I, I, I think that's a the idea of not using this time to innovate and progress as a destination, it would be a wasted opportunity. Exactly. Nick, thanks so much for sharing your experience and your savvy with us today. I really appreciate it. If people want to learn more about you and your destination, where's the best place to find you? Sure. It was my pleasure. And thanks for having me today, Adam. Um, our website is discoverjacksonnc.com. And also I'm on LinkedIn, Nick Breedlove, and would love to connect with people and anything I can do to help. If it's a phone call, if it's an email, feel free to reach out. Great, great. Yeah, guys, Jackson County, North Carolina is doing some amazing things, as you heard today. So I definitely go check them out. Uh, this has been another great episode of the Destination Marketing Podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a rating or review. That definitely helps us continue the show and continue to grow. Other than that, we'll see you next week.